Hey guys, before this episode of the Goldcast begins, I just want to emphasize that we actually recorded this episode before our most recent episode, the one concerning Black Lives Matter, Kyle Shanahan, Con Kaepernick. We actually recorded this on, I believe, June 1st. I think that's what I said right at the beginning, right at the, be height, at the beginning and at the height of the Black Lives Matter protests and some of the riots. So... Um, I decided not to change and edit anything in this episode. We address it at the beginning and at the end. But uh, so if you're just a little curious as to what the timetable is, uh, that's the timetable. This episode was actually recorded two weeks ago, but we're releasing it today. We wanted to let the uh, the sensitivity of the protests and the riots. Um, we wanted to play that through. And, uh, and then we wanted our first episode to be actually addressing the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, which is what we did in the previous episode. And now that we have a little bit of distance, we feel more comfortable releasing our next top 11 villains tournament episode. So here it is. Here we go. Check it out. Hope you enjoy the show. Before we begin tonight's episode of the Gold Cast, uh, we're recording this on Monday night, June 1st, uh, in the middle of obviously a very intense Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, we just wanted to, before we started, we just wanted to address the fact that, you know, overall on the Gold Cast and on Top 11, we don't really ever talk politics. We never really got into the Colin Kaepernick debate. That's not really what our show's about. Our show is more about uh, sports and escapist entertainment. And that's really what we like to focus on. We kind of try to be that alternative. But this the situation going on right now, you know, Kendall Will and I live in Southern California. Raymond's right over there in the heart of San Francisco. We're, we're kind of at some real apex areas and so we didn't want to start this episode without acknowledging the fact that this is happening and uh, our hearts go out to everyone that's dealing with the situation it is a really serious tough situation and hopefully what we can provide and this is why we're producing this podcast in the midst of everything going on right now is uh, a form of escape and just a break from what's going on in the world and that's really that's really the point of this in no way do uh, do we want to appear callous or ignorant to what's going on? In fact, it's kind of doing the opposite. Our, our goal with this podcast today is to just provide some entertainment and provide you guys a break. Um, but our hearts, thoughts, and prayers are 1,000% with the Black Lives Matter movement and with everything going on. And I want to pass this off and give everyone else a chance to talk. Uh, Candlestick, we'll all give you a shot first uh, to, um, to add to what, what we just started with. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much that we could say, but I think well, I think the most important thing right now is just to know that if you're out there and you're hurting, that we love you, that we support you, that we're right with you, um, that whatever you need from us, whether it's to escape for a couple hours on a podcast or whatever, to reach out to us and let us know what you need, because that's what's really important right now. Um, to also for the families of David McAtee for the families of Breonna Taylor. You know, we're, we know we know that you're hurting too. I know George Floyd's getting a lot of the attention, and we are our hearts are breaking for him and his family. But it's there's a lot of people out there that are hurting, and for everyone, um, you know, that's that's been gunned down before this. Um, we can go down a rabbit hole for that, or if we if we really needed to. But right now, it's just that we love you, that we uh, support you, and that we're here for you. Absolutely. Raymond, what about you? Yeah, my, uh, I, I couldn't agree with everything you guys said, and I just really hope that everyone, you know, that 
gets your message across in a in a way that doesn't do more that does more good than more harm um, that that's really kind of where I'd like to focus my comments is uh, to make sure that your voice is heard but make sure you do it in an intelligent and constructive way just because um, otherwise things can get out of hand like we've already seen and what I'd like to see is things go from from protest to progress that's that's what I'd like to see so if you're out there be safe be smart you know and uh, and do your best to make sure your voice is heard but make sure it's done in a way that um, brings people together and creates more solidarity because uh, we we don't need any more division we, we get we get enough of that in the wrong and in, in the in the places that are supposed to be bringing us together so let's focus on you know getting getting the right message in the right way out there absolutely uh well said gentlemen excellent all right so now now time for some fun stuff guys so let's move into this we are we took a hiatus candlestick will and myself we had birthdays to celebrate it is they are done we are back we are focused and ready to go we're so much older we're so much older. We look, I, I, I mean, I barely recognized you, Candlestick Will. By, by 12 months, some scholars estimate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I barely recognize myself. Uh, so here we go. Today, as promised, this is round three of our top 11 tournament. And today, in studio, we have our top 11 sci-fi fantasy villains of all time. The first one we did was our action villains, then we did superhero villains, and now it's time for our sci-fi fantasy. This might be my favorite. I don't know. I think I've said this every week that this group <laughs> is my favorite. So I'm not sure. I think that I think all we've all we have established is that I absolutely love villains. Uh, Candlestick, Will, what about you? How were you in putting this together? I know we're kind of doing this before the intro, but let's just go into it. No, I mean it's it's one of those things where you start to start to find the, the where where to fit the ones you haven't put in yet you know i mean we did our action villains and we did our our superhero villains so the the, the ones that didn't quite fit those categories you know we're, we're trying to find homes for them so i actually had a couple of people that i was considering you know maybe maybe they were honorable mention in previous lists and the more i thought about it, it's like actually i could throw them on a the top 11 over here so you know it's trying to give a uh, you know give a shout out to all the great villains that we we care about from movies that we love and uh and so it, it's fun it's fun to give give uh give some clout to some of these movies that maybe uh, everyone loves and other movies that maybe no one's ever heard of and and everywhere in between absolutely raymond what about you uh did you have what what was your what was your feelings going through this list um, this one is the list that I blazed through the fastest out of all the lists. I knew exactly where everyone needed to be. It was maybe the last, like, maybe 11 through 9, where I had a little bit of second guessing on who should be, you know, who, should, who I should throw out first. But there was really not much debate between the middle and the, the first groups. Yeah, I th- actually, I agree with that. I I actually, I pretty much knew who my one through three were going to be. And as Candlestick Will was talking about during the superhero, our superhero our superhero villains one, you know, sometimes you sit down and you're going, okay, it's one through three and everybody else. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. Actually, when I really put these together, when I really look, I'm, I'm leaning this way. 
No, like pretty much my one through three from the get-go stayed my one through three the whole way through, and then it was just a matter of where we went. But I'll be honest, I when doing this research, I just opened a wormhole, and I think I think part of what made this tough is because we could I could have done a, a top eleven sci-fi villains and then a top eleven fantasy villains. I really could have we could have separated these, but our tournament it would have just messed our brackets up, you know. So it's the only reason we didn't do that. But uh, that made it really tough, and and once again I find myself with an honorable mentions that's almost as long as my top eleven list. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's what's that's what the honorable mentions for, right? Is to shout out the ones that you 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 really wanted to put on your list, but didn't really have a spot right yep or, exactly. or, or didn't have enough clout to top the person in, in their position and their would-be position exactly uh-huh. exactly all right so here we go Goldcast is back the all of the members are here it is time for another top 11 podcast but first raymond why don't you let them know where can they find us you can always like us on facebook.com slash the Goldcast, and you can also follow us on twitter at the underscore Goldcast, and be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all platforms across the digital hemisphere. Wherever you can find a podcast, you will be able to find the Goldcast. We are syndicated all over the interwebs, so take advantage. If you're not part of the aforementioned platforms, we can be found anywhere very easily. So you can find us always, and we always look forward to your comments and your feedback, especially on these ones because these are some of the funnest podcasts that we do. Um, personally, I really love film, so these these have been very fun for me. Absolutely. And then Candlestick will let them know where can they find us if they want to talk to us directly about Top 11 Podcasts. Twitter's the easiest way. Go to Top 11 Podcast, Top 11 Podcast, and send in your uh, your ideas, send in, you know, for future episodes, send in your list so we can get some, some feedback about what, what people love and, you know, criticize the heck out of ours because that's what this is about. It's about... Uh, being super biased and super subjective and uh, and then hearing what everybody else thinks. Hell yeah, absolutely. And then Raymond, where can they find you? You can always find me on Twitter at Ray Solis and on Instagram at Ray Solis one. That spelling is R A Y S O L I S for both uh, Twitter and Instagram. And then the number one um, for Instagram. Awesome. And Candlestick Will, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Candlestick Will. Boom. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I am Rudy3RD. I am Rudy Third. All right, here we go. The greatest intro in the game. Class is in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Salisa I, baby. And our esteemed co-host, Candlestick Will. <laughs> Boom! Love it. Love it. It's getting bigger and bigger every week. It's the best. <laughs> it is the best. All gotta right. Have, gotta have some fun, right? You gotta, yes, man. Absolutely. It's what we're here for. <laughs> All right, so as promised, this is another Top 11 podcast, and today is round three of our Villains Tournament, and it is Top 11 Sci-Fi Fantasy Villains. We combined 
however foolish this may have been, we combined two <laughs> distinct genres with extremely colorful villains all over the place. It was this one. Once I went down the rabbit hole, guys, I'm not kidding. It was brutal. I don't know. I was like, this is so intense. I am so far down the <laughs> rabbit hole right now. I have so many people or things or creatures, aliens. I mean, you name it. They're on here. Uh, but I'm very excited. So why don't we just get into it? Raymond, we're going to start with you, as always. Let's start with your 11 through 8, top 11 sci-fi fantasy villains. All right. Um, at number 11, I've got Boba Fett from the original Star Wars trilogy. I, number 10, I've got the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. At number 9, I've got Voldemort from uh, the Harry Potter series. And at number eight, I've got uh, Sauron from the Lord of the Rings series. What about you, Rudy? All right. I have three ties. This is how this is going to go. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like me. I do. It, uh, Candlestick Will, my list is very Candlestick Will-ish. You guys and your ties, man. <laughs> <laughs> You have a you have a hard time you have a hard time severing that cord. <laughs> I don't have any ties this time, so wow. Know. No, I I am the tie. Well, only in these first three. I have no ties after this, but these first three positions are all ties. But they'll make sense when I say them. So number eleven, the T Rex and the Raptors from the Jurassic Park Jurassic World franchise. Okay, that's number one. Number eleven, number ten, the apes and the humans. From the Planet of the Apes franchise. So if you're watching like, the first franchise. Like, I like that. Right? If you're watching the first franchise, the apes are the villains. If you watch the second franchise, the humans are the villains. You know? So it's a, it was a really nice role reversal. At number nine, my my two absolute kings of the monsters, King Kong and Godzilla, tied. My I, I couldn't pick which which I liked more. Um, you know, Godzilla's got more movies. I'll explain it all later. You know, King Kong doesn't, but I love them equally, so I put them at tie. Those are my last ties. And then number eight, The Wicked Witch of the West, played by Margaret Ooh, Hamilton, Wizard nice. of Oz. Mm. Yeah, that she was a scary bitch when I was a little kid. All right. <laughs> Candlestick Will, what about you? All right, so number 11, I have The Six-Fingered Man from The Princess Bride. Oh, nice. Uh, number 10, I've got... Number 10, I've got the Terminator Ooh. from the original Terminator. At number 9, I've got Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. And number 8, I've got Ernesto de la Cruz from Coco. Oh, wow. Went with an Some surprise animation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would have, I actually, it's funny you say that. I would have, I thought about Maleficent, but I was like, ah, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe animation is a different topic man maybe what we should have done is a mega tournament for fantasy and animation and then we just go well I, I, that was my thing i figured since we didn't have since we didn't have an animation one that fantasy was the only place to to really fit fa uh, any any animation i did so. have fantasy in my honorable mentions actually, in the last one so i i do actually have one more animated coming so nice all right all right, so Ray, what, what what you got for us for eleven? So Boba Fett, because he was the coolest looking villain in the Star Wars series at at the time that I saw it when I was a kid. Even though he didn't do much, and at the time had a very un, uneventful death, 
although the expanded universe has brought him back and we know that he's most likely coming back um, in the newest series. But uh, I, I had to put him in there just because I watch Empire Strikes Back the same way our younger brother Dean would watch Toy Story every day when he came home from school. So every day I came home from school at the age of six, I would pop in the, v- the VHS of Empire Strikes Back. I'd watch the Battle of Hoth. I'd skip over the Dagobah stuff because I, I couldn't hold my attention. And then I went right into the Cloud City <laughs> stuff. And so I was really into Boba Fett, the way he looked, the way he spoke. I was just like, man, that guy is one cool dude. He like he 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 solved this big huge problem that the empire as an as an entire armada could not solve, and he just did his little infiltration thing and brought them the one gift that they were looking for. So badass uh, guy there. The T Rex for obvious reasons. I mean, I I did wrestle with the Velociraptors. The Velociraptors, you will see them. I'm not going to say where or when, but uh, I did have the T Rex in there because when I put them together i was like gosh i was like some of the best scenes with the raptors but that whole introduction to when the park starts to fall apart really gets set by t-rex and the 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 water vibration all of that is t-rex that's amazing stuff there so i I had to give it to t-rex in that part in that part and then voldemort just because voldemort is somebody that is an antagonist through eight films i don't know if you've seen all eight i've seen all eight and i've enjoyed all eight um uh, the, the first couple are a little bit more kid-friendly, and then after that it tends to get more darker and more mature as it progresses, which is, I guess, how the books are written, like too. the books. Yeah. yeah. So Voldemort, played by Ralph Fiennes, who's one of my favorite actors. I think he's a terrific actor, and he plays this role beautifully. And I don't know if it's any uh, accuracy to the book, but uh, I thought it was very entertaining. I thought he was a very uh, menacing villain. So I had to put him on the list just because I thought he was pretty he's he's pretty he's pretty iconic now. I mean, you span eight films, that's you're you know, you're surpassing almost every villain out there in terms of how many times you're you're in you're in horror villain territory when you've got eight, you know, notches on your belt. Um Sauron for uh, similar reasons, uh just because this guy was just reduced to a goddamn eyeball. And still managed to amass an entire army and almost take over Middle Earth again. <laughs> um, so uh, I thought that was pretty impressive. And I always thought, like, that's, I was like, how the hell does this eyeball have so much influence? But his power was so amazing that he could just, like, I could just be an eye and just throw some whispers at somebody and get things moving again. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. And then, um, and so, yeah, so, and Lord of the Rings is, is one of my favorite uh, series of all time. I really enjoy fantasy quite a bit. I know Rudy's not as big of a fan as, as I am. I think he likes Fellowship the most out of the three. I think Fellowship is the most balanced, although Two Towers is an amazing sequel. And then King of the, uh, the Return of the King is, is a nice close off to everything, but I think the first two films stand a little bit better. But Sauron is, of course, the architect of all the villains that we see in that film. Every single villain in that movie, with the exception of maybe a handful, are all puppeteered by Sauron in his eye form. Lord knows how badass he would be if he was in physical form, which was the whole purpose of him even getting together in the first getting all of that mess together in the first place. So uh, I had to put him on that list. And I, to me, he tops Voldemort just because of everything I mentioned. He just he just did too much and was too badass and had less less uh, less abilities than Voldemort did at his disposal and was still managed to accomplish quite a bit. What about you, Rudy? So now, OK, I will say this and it I I. I definitely like sci-fi more than fantasy. I do. And I like fantasy. I just am not a big swords and sorcery guy. 
Like, I'm not a big Game of Thrones guy. Like, the second they get on horses and pull out swords and it's all in the dirt and it's like a kingdom, I'm like, it kind of starts to lose interest. That's my bias. That is, <laughs> and I, it's really bad. And I didn't have this as a kid. Like, I love Willow. Willow's one of my, Willow's still one of my all time favorite movies. But, like, I don't know. Somewhere, actually, I do know it was Lord of the Rings. It was Lord of the Rings. I really didn't like <laughs> Return of the King. Like, I really didn't like that movie. And after that, it was like, it soured me. And then I, I tried. I watched the Game of Thrones pilot twice. I feel like I'm in a confessional now. I watched the Game of Game of Thrones pilot twice and was so turned off. I never saw it again. And like I'm not, like I and I just I'm like I'm just not a swords and sorcery guy in 2020. But uh, but so yes, I'm like yes, ending Raymond. I'm expanding and explaining what Raymond was saying. Okay, so uh, number eleven, the T Rex and the Raptors for Jurassic Park, Jurassic World franchise started in 1993. Uh, I agree with Raymond. The T-Rex, the Raptors are probably the most, um, are probably the fan favorite. They're the Boba Fett, if you will, of, of the Jurassic Park series, Jurassic World franchise. But that opening scene with T-Rex in that car is one of the scariest, greatest scenes Steven Spielberg's ever put together. It is masterful. Yep. And if you yep. read the book, I read the book like five or six times. I'm not exaggerating. If you read the book, it is almost verbatim. And it, the, he was that book scene is so terrifying to read, and and Steven Spielberg, it was one of those rare moments where where someone was able to actually able to capture the intensity of a book of a book scene because it all takes place in your head, and oftentimes I feel like a book is more intense than a movie. He was able to capture that, and then deliver it on the screen. It was just so excellent, and the T Rex is terrifying. But I put the Raptors and them together because they're part of the same franchise. And I kind of did that for all three of these first ones. They all kind of feel very interconnected. And one, it, they kind of needed each other in all these franchises to really work. And so that leads me into number 10, which is the apes and the humans in the Planet of the Apes series. So as I mentioned already before, in the original franchise, I'm a huge, huge fan of the original Planet of the Apes. I think Beneath the Planet of the Apes is one of the greatest sequels of all time. I literally put it up there with Godfather 2, Empire Strikes Back as one of the T2, as one of the greatest sequels of all time. Beneath Planet of the Apes is dark and it is weird AF. And it is, it's so good though. <laughs> you know, lots of to atomic bomb stuff in there. Rod Serling puts in a lot of that that uh, symbolism and metaphor that he really likes in there. And the apes are truly the villains and, and they're truly the villains in, except for Escape the Planet of the Apes, which is in some ways a little bit of a precursor to the next series. So then you've got the following franchise that came out in the last decade, Rise, Conquest. Uh, what's the... War. What's the, what's the, I'm missing War. Yeah, War for Planet of the Apes. Those, in that one, the humans really become the villains. And they really, it's really interesting that you have this iconic franchise that makes, that has as one group the villains in the first franchise and then the second franchise flips it and the other group is. And so I really thought they were same thing. These guys were interconnected and you couldn't really have the apes without the humans and the humans without the apes. They're both the villains and depending on which franchise you love or watch the most, I like them both. So I put them in as a tie. Uh, a, a rare, rare trilogy too, that, that was critically acclaimed. All three films were critically acclaimed and commercially successful. Pretty rare. <laughs> they made they made they made more than that though didn't they? It's like four or five. Well, the original Planet of the Apes has five, and then the new the new tr the new franchise has three. Although Disney has already come out and said they want to keep going with this with this, and the 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 new trilogy. I would actually argue the new trilogy is probably a little better, 
the three like the first well andy circus is better than roddy mcdowell so i mean and the technology is better so yeah the 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 first the first planet of the apes is i mean i've never heard anyone say they didn't like the first one um you're one of the first people i've ever heard love the second one as much as you just said you did i think for me i probably didn't get a lot of the symbolism the first time i saw it um so that's probably why i didn't didn't i kind of just panned it as like oh it was it was okay um but that that new trilogy andy circus does such a fantastic job um he's so incredible being able to bring characters like that to life you know with with Gollum or or um you know in in apes or or what in whatever he does and um and i think that makes a huge difference i think um in the technology alone um you know, makes a huge difference. I agree. I agree. I think, you know, Kendall Sequoia, since you're a big fan of old movies, you should go back and watch Beneath and tell me what you think. Um, and Because uh, I really do. I really think it's one of the rare sequels where I'm like, man, it is. It's it's fucking crazy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so crazy. That's how it was. Like, the first time I ever watched um, Night of the Living Dead, I was like, oh, it was okay. You know, and then I started reading on like the his- history behind it and what they were actually really saying and the message behind it. And I was like, okay, I definitely need to watch this again. And I watch it again and I'm like, okay, this is actually a really amazing film. And I, I can't believe I, you know, just kind of brushed it off, you know, because the zombies were kind of boring to me. And it was like, oh, okay, there's actually a, a deep, you know, message about about the world and about the world we live in. And, you know, especially even today, it's, we're still dealing with. And it's like, okay, that movie actually was pretty, uh, pretty incredible. Um, so I think sometimes when, when you don't know that a movie's trying to say something and it doesn't hit you in the face, that sometimes you just have to revisit it and, and uh, give it another chance sometimes because it's like, oh, okay, if that's what that meant, then that changes my perspective completely. Yeah, I definitely think you should give Beneath a second chance because it, it really expands upon the mythology of the first film. And that final scene the final shot you know the most one probably easily one of the most iconic twists of all time if not in my opinion it's the greatest movie twist ever done was the the end of the planet of the apes twist it takes that twist and then completely expands on it and, and just goes dives right in and goes well okay if this is the twist and you're on earth well what happened to the rest of the humans and then it then it shows you and it it's it beneath is beneath is nuts man beneath is yeah give it a, i think if you watch it again uh, when you do call me, cause you're going to be like, holy shit, that was actually insane. It was, it's really good. I really do put it up there as one of the greatest sequels of all time. Uh, escape is kind of weak. And then, uh, conquest and war are, are, they're pretty good, but, but one and two are, are definitely the ones. Okay. So at number nine, King Kong and Godzilla, I grew up a huge King Kong fan. And I really grew up on the 70s King Kong. I went back and saw 30s King Kong. I love 30s King Kong. I thought Peter Jackson's King Kong was pretty good too. I thought it was about an hour too long. I think most people thought it was about an hour too long. Um, but but that 70s King Kong is really my Kong. And uh, I love, love King Kong. The Jeff the Jeff Bridges, Jessica Lang one? Yeah, that's the one I yeah. grew up. Ooh, Jessica Lang. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, man. I understand. I understand. What jealous. I'm jealous for. of Kong in that film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie is so good, and the special effects, for, honestly, for the most part, I think really hold up. Like, you know, it's kind of funny because when you watch the the 30s Kong, his size is really hard to determine. Like, like it, 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 
it changes drastically. Yeah. And like, there's, there's moments where I was still in, go ahead. No, I was saying I was still very impressed with the animation in the thirties version, but I was also giving it the benefit of the doubt of it. This came out in the thirties and was revolutionary for the thirties. Um, I think somewhat someone watching it for the first, someone watching it for the first time today might dismiss it just simply because it doesn't look that scary or whatever. Um, and it, cause I, I thought the original King Kong was actually one of the more amazing films I've ever seen. Um, especially for the, a 1933 release. Um, but, but, you know, everyone has their own opinions on that kind of stuff, but that for me, I was really impressed with that. But the, well, if you're being honest, it's like that, that King Kong, it wasn't necessarily scary, you know, in, yeah. the, in the grand scheme of things. No, definitely not. But he's still good. Still, I, I agree with you. Still really impressive for the time. I really like mm-hmm. that movie. Absolutely. It's a really good film. Yeah. Um, yeah, King Kong. And then Godzilla, though. I kind of describe King Kong as like Elvis Presley and Godzilla as like Bob Dylan. You know what I mean? Like you got one guy that's like <laughs> super big rock star. King Kong's your rock star. Godzilla's your kind of your more quiet indie darling. You know, even though Godzilla's had way more movies, like he's your indie darling in the United States. I love Godzilla. Godzilla is my dude. Like I every 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 one of those movies ends with him destroying all the houses, and it's clearly all model toys. But as a little kid, I loved it. I actually loved knowing and loved being able to tell that it was model toys. That somehow made it cooler to me. And the the mythology on Godzilla goes way way off the tracks like it goes so crazy like i've seen i don't even think i've seen all those movies i've seen at least half of them i've seen at least like 10 of those movies and they are nuts and i mean they're 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 definitely not consistent and they 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 change from movie to movie as far as the quality but very well done and then at number eight my girl margaret hamilton playing the role of the wicked witch of the west in wizard of oz 1939 as I mentioned earlier, she terrified me. I thought she was absolutely terrifying. Incredible, iconic performance. Amazing what she does with her voice, the movements, everything she does from an acting standpoint, masterclass in acting, especially for that era, and was, was just thoroughly terrifying and highly effective. And so that is my top 11 through 8. Candlestick Will, what about you, bud? So, Six Fingered Man from The Princess Bride, um, you know, saw it, saw it as a kid, you know, a million times. The dude makes a deal with a guy, doesn't like, doesn't want to pay, kills him right on the spot, slices up the kid who just saw his father die, and then doesn't give a damn, like, 30 years later when the dude shows back up. It's like, his cold-heartedness and cold-blooded mentality was, through that whole film, was just, it, it was... It was a level of evil I don't think I'd ever really seen, and I didn't appreciate it as much at the time, maybe I was not a kid, as I do now of just how evil he was. But even as a kid, you knew he was just as bad as it gets. And um, and I think when you have a villain that can be evil um, to kids and adults, you, you've hit a home run as far as creating a character. Um, and his just callous nature of just how much he just didn't seem to care about anyone else was obvious. Um for number 10, I had Terminator. It's, you know, it's one of those characters that it's almost, he's too big not to be on one of the lists kind of thing. Um, he was just, and again, he was so cold-blooded. I mean, literally, he was a robot, basically. You know, like, he, he had that, you know, just machine mentality of, like, I'm going to kill and I don't care who's in front of me. I don't have a, you know, I don't have a, a heart. And when you have, like, a heartless, cold-blooded killer, 
it's always scary. And to me, I think when we talk about villains in the, in a sci-fi fantasy way, that it's when you don't think people have empathy or even could possess empathy, that that really is what ends up being one of the more scary, you know, characters you can create on film. Um, for number nine, I had Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. I had had him in the honorable mentions in uh, in action movies, but I realized when I was thinking about it, it's like It's a Wonderful Life's a fantasy film. I mean, he goes back in time. You know, he's he's got a guardian angel, so it's a fantasy film. And Mr. Potter was so ruthless in that town, um, very similar to the way uh, Wicked Witch of the West was. You know, before she became the Wicked Witch, and she was just the 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 badass that owned half the town in in uh, in Kansas. Um, where it's just, you know, because of the money and power inf- and influence, he just ran the town and just didn't care who he stepped on to get his money. Um, and then uh, I- I'm not going to be able to do justice to number eight like uh, Shea Serrano did on his uh, Villains podcast, but Ernesto De La Cruz is one of the most evil characters Disney's ever created. He literally kills his best friend just for his music. Then when a kid thinks he's his son... And tries to you know to try to to you know find him and 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 help and get help. He ends up thinking the kid's a threat and tries to kill the kid. I mean he's as ruthless and evil as any Disney character ever created. So he makes my list. And and always when uh, if Shea Serrano thinks they're they're a badass villain, then I tend to agree because that's one of my dudes right there. So um, so yes, Inessa De La Cruz is is one of the one of the worst. Uh, Worst or best, depending on your perspective, uh, characters in Disney history. So, Ray, what do you got for uh, seven through four? All right. At number seven, I've got the Nazgul from the Lord of the Rings series. At number six, I've got Agent Smith from the Matrix series. At number five, I've got the T-1000, Robert Patrick from the 1992 Terminator 2. And at number four, I've got Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, T-1, 1984. What about you, Rudy? Ooh, all right. It's getting hot in here. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Number seven, I have the HAL 9000 from 2001 Space Odyssey. Wow. At number six, The Thing from The Thing 1982, the 1982 film. See, I leave that in. That's going to be in horror for me. That's that's a good call. I, uh, I have... Raymond, once again, we have one of these weird moments where we're so close uh, at number five. And we don't talk about these beforehand. Raymond and I never discuss these beforehand. At number five, I have the T-800, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator. And at number four, I have the T-1000. So I have them reversed. <laughs> <laughs> Same exact list, just reversed. Those are my guys. How about you, Candlestick Will? So you, you've heard you've heard of most of my list here. For number seven, I've got Sauron from Lord of the Rings. At number six, I've got the T Rex from Jurassic Park. At number five, I've got the Raptors from Jurassic Park. And Ooh. at number four, I've got Palpatine from Return of the Jedi. Wow! Ooh. All right, Ray, break it down for us. All right, the Nazgul, the the nine kings of Middle Earth that were persuaded and seduced by Sauron and ended up becoming these evil, evil, dark wraith minions that are basically indestructible um, with the exception of unless you're a woman. <laughs> only only women can kill the Nazgul, as it turns out. 
And uh, to me, I just thought that these things were so cool. They had no face unless he put the ring on. You could see it. But even then, it was all distorted. But they looked so cool. The black cloaks and the armor knights with their feet and their arms. And they, they had this dark whisper. And then the cloak was all black. These nine individuals do more damage to the good guys than any of the uh, than, than most of the most of the bad guys in the film, with the exception of like a, a mass amount of orcs and and uh, and what's it called the uh, the Urukai, the the fusion of of goblins and orcs together, but uh, the nine are are really the outside of Sauron are one of the main antagonists of the film, and I just thought that they were amazing, especially in Fellowship. They were pretty impressive. All of the camera work with the horseback riding to get all that stuff is really amazing shots that the Nazgul have. They are in all the best shots in Fellowship of the Ring, and they have some of the more crazier moments throughout the series thereafter. But I had to have them in there just because uh, they immediately came to mind when I thought of this series. Agent Smith, uh, just because um, this is uh, a, a dangerous program that really becomes the most dangerous program within the Matrix. Even though there's lots of dangerous programs in the Matrix that our heroes run into throughout the entire trilogy. However, the one constant that seems to be evolving because he has gone beyond, beyond the boundaries of his programming is Agent Smith. And Hugo Weaving does a tremendous job portraying this character and really kind of creating all of the, the nice, uh, these, these evolutions of, of his arc as a villain into this really menacing arc that's really trying to break free of the Matrix and, and, and just get, get, get in because, it, because the program has become independent and self-aware, it's trying to break free. And I always thought that was a very interesting concept, but of course it was very evil in what it was doing by just killing everyone and copying them and creating all these other Agent Smiths. So uh, I had to have him there. I thought that was a little bit more crazier than the Nazgul, although the Nazgul are pretty amazing. Uh, but, uh, of course, Agent Smith, if he came toe-to-toe with the T-1000, I really don't think it would be much of a contest. T-1000 does not get tired, although Agent Smith technically doesn't either. But uh, the T-1000 is liquid and can turn himself into any blade he wants to. He can turn himself into an Agent Smith if he wanted to and really confuse Agent Smith. So there, there really wouldn't be any much he, he could do. And, and Robert Patrick was terrific in this role. This is the first film that I saw him in. I don't know if it was his first movie, but it was the first film that I saw Robert Patrick in. I haven't in. seen him in many and movies I thought that, either since. Yeah, I've seen him. in. Uh, he was in Copland. He was really good in Copland. That's one that comes to mind. And then he's done some, nothing as good as his earlier work uh, from this the 90s. But uh, I thought he was amazing, even though he wasn't as big and didn't have some of the the moments that Arnold Schwarzenegger has in the later films. I still thought that this was an amazing leap from the first film and still just as scary and just like what the hell do you do to liquid metal was what i kept thinking when i first saw the film i just feel like he was indestructible the same way i thought terminator was in the first one speaking of the terminator is just too iconic i had to even though technically the t-1000 can beat the the t-800 i just feel like the I enjoy watching Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator more than I enjoy Robert Patrick as the T-1000, although I love both. And I just think that Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, his acting ability was always a little hamstrung because of his accent and the language barrier there. However, if there was one thing that Arnold was always amazing at, it was facial expressions, even though that the Terminator didn't require many it did require one very consistent facial expression that Arnold Schwarzenegger nailed throughout the entire film. And to just be the stone-cold robot 
I thought he played it perfectly. I don't think he does as good as a job in the later films because the scripts change and, and how they perceive the Terminator and its neural processor and how it learns over time. I didn't necessarily agree with all those choices, but in the first Terminator, I think like it's exactly the way Michael Bean describes it to the cops and to Sarah Connor in, in numerous scenes throughout the film. And I thought that it was, it was a beautiful illustration of Michael Bean's later illustri- uh, description in, via his script. So I thought that that was amazing. And so I had to put him in there at number four. You know, he would have been higher, but we can all probably take a little bit of a guess as to the next three that are pretty tough to beat, even for a Terminator. What about you, Rudy? So at number seven, HAL 9000, I tell people all the time, uh, I love Space uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. I think the entire movie is great, but I tell them if you can get past the first 40 minutes, which are, I think, amazing, but for some people are hard to digest. Uh, if you get past that, then you have <laughs> one of the, yeah, I'm not a big Kubrick guy. I'm, that's very controversial. I'm not really a, I'm not, I'm not really, he's got a very nihilistic approach to filmmaking that I've just... I've only been able to watch 2001 from beginning to end once, and I don't know if I could ever do it again. But there, there are parts of it that are incredible, and Hal, Hal 9000 is the best part of it. Oh, the best part of it. He is out of control. And I read the book, too, and they're actually they, – uh, Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick wrote the book and the screenplay concurrently at the same time. And uh, the movie actually makes way more sense if you read the book because what he ended up doing was – he what what was described if there was no dialogue in the book then Kubrick didn't put it in the movie so like the end scenes and everything he's doing at the end are all described in the book and instead in the movie he's like well I can't describe it with narration I'm just going to show you so it makes way more sense when you read the book but having said that how 9000 and that whole middle act of the movie where becomes one of the most terrifying sci-fi films of all time uh, when that computer just goes haywire and starts murdering Dave and Frank and it just or get Frank and then Dave has to kill Hal 9000. I love him. One of my favorite like of all time, all time. Number six. Yeah, you definitely could have put him in horror. Um, I like to consider this movie a sci fi horror film. And uh, I love the thing. I oh, I saw the thing for the first time just a couple years ago. Somehow I had missed it. And right when I was done, I was like, that's as good as Aliens, Predator any of the uh, Terminator, any of those classics, it was like instantly. Halfway through the movie, I was like, I this movie I is- saw it later in life too, and I was blown away. Blown away. Blown, one of Carpenter's favorites. Carpenter is one of my all-time favorites uh, when he's doing like horror. he's He is the master, one of the masters. And so I had to put the thing. Um, it's just incredible. At number five, the T-800. So I really agree with both of you guys that the T-800's performance, uh, Schwarzenegger's performance is more terrifying I just know him and remember him more as a good guy versus a bad guy because of every subsequent film ever after, he's pretty much a good guy. Um, and so that's really what I know him for. And that's why I put him at five because the T-1000 has only ever been in one movie and he was a bad mother. F- he really was. I love the T-1000. I love T-1000. Like, uh, I think he's he's not as violent per se, but there is a level of calculation and sophistication to his approach that they did, you know, that that I think is also coupled with the way the technology of that creature works or that robot works that um, I just find more terrifying. Like 
if I've got to pick between Rudy, you've got to battle one of these two, the T-1000 or T-800, I'm like, I'll take my chances with the T-800 because I can at least find a rocket launcher and kill that guy. You can't kill the T-1000. He just keeps coming and coming. There's nothing nothing yeah. you can do can kill this guy. <laughs> they had to melt him. I don't know where I'm going to form. I'm going to find molten lava. Like, I don't even, I can't believe they found it in the movie. <laughs> yeah. You really, you literally need molten lava to stop this guy. That's not, that's not found on corner, every street corner. Just take him on vacation to Hawaii. You'll find some. <laughs> you take him to Hawaii, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and so that's why that's why I put the order that I had it in. Candlestick Will, what about you? So you guys, you, you know, Ray, you already brought up, you know, your thoughts on Sauron. I mean, it, when you have an entire world basically being, you know, puppeteered by one one character, it's it's pretty menacing. Um, and, and his, his power is pretty incredible. And I think my, my wife would have might've, might've literally slapped me if I didn't put him on my list somewhere. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, Lord of the Rings is, is her, is her shit. So I had to, I had to include Sauron somewhere, but he is pretty terrifying. Um, legitimately, I'm not, it wasn't just because of her, um, T-Rex and Raptors normally on, you know, you've heard my other lists in the past. Normally I would have put them together. But when I really thought about it, the Raptors were just scarier. Um, everything you guys said about the T-Rex is 100% why I put it on the list. That opening sequence is as terrifying as anything. It's basically what Jaws would have been if he, if everything had worked the way they wanted it to. Um, the Jaws is incredible with what they couldn't do. And it turned out that it'd be really menacing because we didn't see it for forever. And that actually ended up being crazy. But I think what he was able to accomplish with the T-Rex with the fear of what is, what is it, what's coming, what's it going to look like, how big is it going to be and all that kind of stuff until he shows up and he has that menacing roar and he's about to kill those two kids. And, and just that whole entire sequence is just incredible. But most people never even heard of what a Raptor was before Jurassic park. And everyone after that movie was like, Holy shit. Raptors are the greatest thing ever. Like, it would, they were so badass. The pack hunter mentality of, you know, the whole backstory of, oh, you know, we have this one raptor that just ended up eating all the other raptors, kept two just so she could hunt. Like, it just the whole backstory they gave it was like, this is the baddest creature on the planet. And then the way that she, uh, she goes after and kills the, the characters in this film, the, the raptors were just incredibly vicious and, and scared the shit out of kids of all ages and I was 13 at the time and it's just like holy shit the Raptors are incredible I mean they they got an NBA franchise out of it because they were so badass um (laughs) you know Um, and so uh and so to me the Raptors were just a a slight edge above um the T-Rex and then Palpatine um I mean it's it's one of the most iconic characters in the franchise um, the way he, you know, tries to manipulate Luke in, in Return of the Jedi and goes after Darth Vader when he's not willing to do it and, and, and um, goes after Luke when he's not willing to do it and just has no sense of any, any uh, heart whatsoever, just a complete lack of empathy um, that he had uh, was just always menacing to me. And, you know, growing up on the Star Wars films myself, it was like, this dude looks like he's about 300 years old and he's scary as hell. And, uh, and so, yeah, so Palpatine makes my, makes my Mount Rushmore. All right. You guys ready for three through one? Well, we got honorable mentions first. Oh, honorable mentions. That's right. Ray's so ready. He's so ready. Ray's so ready. <laughs> All right. 
Rapid Fire, here we go. In no particular order, Ed 209 from Robocop, nice. Darth Maul from Phantom Menace, Starscream oh. from 2007's Transformers, my favorite Decepticon, Professor Snape, played by Alan Rickman, Harry Potter series, the Arachnids from Starship Troopers, nice. Velociraptor from Jurassic Park, uh, Koba, played by Tony Cabell in Dawn of Planet of the Apes. He was the, the leader oh, yeah. ape that uh, betrays uh, Caesar. Um, Darkness, played by Tim Curry in 1986 Legend. Uh, Queen Bav Morda, played by Jean Marsh in 1988's Willow. <laughs> Bellatrix Lestrange, played by Helena Bonham Carter in the Harry Potter series. King Kong Godzilla, Gollum, Lord of the Rings, Andy Serkis. And Thulsa Doom, played by James Earl Jones in Conan the Barbarian. Nice. What about you, Rudy? That's a good list. Uh, uh, mine is in particular order, starting at number eight. Thulsa Doom. James Earl Jones, Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> 1982. <laughs> Number seven, The Body Snatchers, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1978. Oh, very good. Uh, number six, Darkness by Tim Curry, Legend, 1985. <laughs> Number Great. five, my boy, Jarrett the Goblin King, David Bowie, Labyrinth. Got to throw him on here somewhere. Oh, very nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, number four, probably... Uh, um, controversially, Lord Voldemort, Ralph Fiennes, Harry Potter franchise. Uh, yeah, I put him on my honorable. I'm not the biggest Harry Potter guy either, uh, but it's a great, great series. Uh, number three, extremely controversial. If anyone who knows me, Emperor Palpatine, Ian McDermott, Star Wars franchise. I put him on my honorable mentions, uh, which makes you wonder where the other guy's going to go. Uh, number two, Agent Smith. Hugo Weaving, the Matrix franchise. Oh, this killed me to not put him on the list. This killed me. And I know. You love that. <laughs> I love Agent Smith. Agent Smith, Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> these are all guys I wanted on there. Uh, and number one, uh, she was on the original list, but there was just there was too many other heavy, heavy hitters. Medusa, Clash of the Titans, 1981. Oh, nice. Very that good. is one Very scary, nice. scary monster. She was originally my number 11, but... I feel like the T-Rex and Raptors are more iconic at this point. All right, Candlestick Will, what about you? Honorable mentions. Oh, go ahead. Well, if you're talk and if you're talking about what a villain can do, like just looking at them and you die, like <laughs> that's intense. It's a bad bitch. And that sound that's that sh- that weird sound they made for her, the was rattlesnake. In- yeah. Oh, dude, it was that's that's a scary ass scene. So I have. Uh, uh, what about you, Candlestick Will? So I have uh, Jabba the Hutt from Return of the Jedi. Um, Oh, good uh, one. So I do have the T-1000 in my honorable mention. So um, he, he, he belongs on a, on a list, but the Terminator franchise just isn't, isn't as exciting for me as most others. Um, so I had to put some, some favorite films uh, on my list. Um, a shout out, just because I love the movie. It's, it's a guilty pleasure. Simon Phoenix and Demolition Man. I, like, I love Wesley Snipes. Oh, that. yeah. Um, this one is more just because he was such a jackass and not, has nothing to do with me liking this guy, but Carl Bruner from Ghost, that that dude was such a fucking asshole. <laughs> I and, just saw that and, movie like a week ago. Did you guys see it on TV a week ago? He is. No, the, but, he looks so coked out of his brains the whole movie. He well, I mean, so it's, drugged it out. is especially towards the end. That, when that he film was to shot get, like unnerved. By yeah, that film was shot in the late 80s. So I'm sure he was. But the uh, but I mean, I, I only reason I even bring him up is because it's one of my favorite death scenes of a villain because I just love that he just gets taken down to the, the you know the underworld. Um, it, it just feels like that's what should happen to bad people, um, you know, in any kind of a fantasy. Um, and then the other one that um, you know I love this film. Some people don't like it, um, maybe because it's like six hours long. But the movie Green Mile is one of my all time favorite films, and 
Percy Wetmore, the um, the uh, um, the, poli- the police officer. I mean, the guy on, that was on death row working it, um, and Wild Bill Wharton that actually did the crimes. Both of them were just incredibly uh, horrible villains. I mean, they just they make my blood curl just thinking about you know the the evil that they have both had in their hearts and uh and so th- i had to put them on my honorable mention because i i didn't quite fit them on my list but i had to shout them out because those those two were really hard to watch on screen with just how ugly they were yeah they were you wanted to punch oh them yeah especially percy you just... that guy percy used to i i actually met him a couple of times he used to date a he used to date a friend of mine back in the days so i actually i i met him around the time of those movies well, I'm sure he's a. I'm sure he's a. I'm sure. I'm sure he's a nice human being, but that character was just disgusting. That is one of my least favorite characters. He, awful, awful character. Amazing. But I'm saying, it, it, I'm saying it's <laughs> yeah. one of my least favorite yeah. characters in in movie history. Just from like literally, like like just like you said, Ray. I just want to punch him in the neck like every time I see him. <laughs> which which makes him you know a great villain if you if you're you're playing this game so. All right, Ray. I know you were you were chomping at the bit. Let's do it. Top three. Let's go. All right, here we go. Number three, I've got the Xenomorph from from the Alien franchise. At number two, I've got the Predator, the Kevin Peter Hall iteration from 1987, and also the Danny Glover version. And then at number one, no surprises here, I've got Darth Vader, James Earl Jones, the Star Wars original trilogy. What do you got? What you got, Rudy? All right, Raymond and I once again we're very close. Number three, the Predator, <laughs> played by Kevin Kevin Peter Hall. You can tell we grew up in the same household. You can really tell. <laughs> the Predator is at number three, uh, Kevin Peter Hall. Number two, the Xenomorph, and number one, my boy Darth Vader, uh, physically played by David Prowse in the original trilogy, and then voiced yes, by James. Yes. Shout out to David Prowse. Very Shout true. Shout out to David Prowse. Yeah. Yep, and the candlestick wheel. What about you? What's your top three? All right, so I, for you know, people can yell at me if they want. I don't have Predator or Alien, which is crazy because they because sh- <laughs> they because sh- they good. should be on this list, but I don't have them on there. What I do have is Scar from Lion King at number three. I have oh, the Wicked Witch of the West from Wizard one. of Oz. Jeremy Irons. I have Wicked Witch of the West from the Wizard of Oz at number two, and at number one, I have everyone's number one, Darth Vader. We all nice. have a. We, this hasn't happened have, since the 49ers. I think since the, the Niners top 11 list. That was the last time we all had the same number one. Darth Vader, uh, without question. Absolutely. Well, and in reality, I probably should have had the same number one as you the last two weeks of the top 11 uh, villains. But I just, I just kind of threw in some different ones for my number one just because I, ha- I had a change of heart in the last minute because I absolutely had... Hans Gruber number one at first, and I absolutely had. Uh, um, well, am I blanking on a superhero? Who do we all have for superhero? Uh, you Joker. had Joker. Joker. Yeah, Heath Ledger Joker. So yeah, I mean those those are the hands down number ones in those in those two categories. I was I was just going rogue on those two, but I couldn't go rogue here. Darth Va- Darth Vader's the, the Darth Vader's the all time. He's the goat for sure. He's yeah, and for me, you know the the Xenomorph just because. There's probably no other film I've seen more than Aliens and Terminators up there, Predators up there, and Die Harders up there too. Two John McTiernan films, coincidentally. Both or, or, the, or just the sequel. Uh, uh, the, 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 the I've seen Aliens more than I've seen okay. Alien. 
although I love them both. I just enjoy Aliens a lot more. I just think I think it has everything that Aliens that Aliens has, but then it has a little bit more yeah. too. So it has the it has a slow build up. It's got a horror. It's got atmosphere. It's got darkness to it, but then it's also got some quick pace action too. That really kind of there's a nice little mix up there, but it, it still has the essence of what Aliens is, which is science science fiction horror in my mind. So it's science fiction horror action by the time they get to Aliens, although the first one's amazing too. I just like the fact that you don't see the alien very well throughout these films, and it's always shrouded with in very dark light. And to me. The worst villains are the ones you can't see very well. You can't make it out, but you know that what's there is freaking ugly and scary. And your your heroes that you love are just getting taken out like like that. And so that to me makes a great villain. And the xenomorph is just an extraordinary species that you know humans have been chasing after in every single series after that, to or, or in in the uh, the new series case uh, the creating it. But. Uh, We'll, we'll never have a podcast about uh, the new trilogy for aliens ever, but uh, but I will say that this is this is my favorite one of my favorite uh, movie monsters of all time, just because it's the the double mouth thing that's never been reproduced ever, uh, at least not to the same effect that Xenomorph pulls it off on. Uh, Predator, God, it's hard, you know. Our, our our mother's favorite film of all time is Predator, and uh, I I had to go with Predator because I just think it's so damn cool. He's just got the coolest gadgets in the world. The design is just off the charts, insanely original. That part just just blows my mind. Like some, like Stan Winston thought of this and created this. And, and, and the the Terminator's got some human-like features, and even though Predator does too. But the the appendages and the mouth and the technology, all that crazy stuff, I'd never seen any of that before in my entire life. And the fact that it was slow paced. James Cameron created the mandibles, though. James Cameron created the mandibles. They, he told he he was on a plane with Stan Winston and he said I've always had this idea you should throw this on the predator creature and and that's how he got the the fame the now famous mandibles. Ah, that's cool, and I just love the fact that again, like much like the xenomorph, we don't see the predator until like really deep into the film, and he's killed off half the characters by the time we get a, a decent look at him. So um, again, it's horrible. That film scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. I probably shouldn't have saw it when I did see it, but I saw it pretty much when it came out, and uh, it, I just blew my mind. And Vader, for the obvious, the 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 most the most diabolical, powerful uh, Sith Lord slash Jedi the 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 Star Wars universe has ever seen, even to this date. I mean, he still manages to find a way to to come into the films and make an appearance, even if it is. You know, uh, a recap of, of old stuff that we just haven't seen before. Um, I'm talking about Rogue One. Uh, that scene in Rogue One was phenomenal. Um, it made the whole movie for me, even though I enjoyed the whole movie up to that point. It just put a really amazing cherry on top. So I had to go with Darth Vader there. And James Earl Jones is on my honorable mentions and uh, my main list. So I'm happy about that. What about you, Rudy? Back to, to, to my top three, the Predator. I have him in reverse order. I think the Predator is super cool. Um, but I find the Xenomorph to be more terrifying. I love the Predator. I love all the weaponry it has. I like its ability to hunt. I like everything it does, and I think it... it. Uh, but I think Predator also really is matched by Danny Glover and Arnold Schwarzenegger. It, it kind of needs those two guys to be really cool. The Xenomorph on its own is just really terrifying. The way, especially in the second film, the way its mouth opens, all the saliva, the, the alien queen, it just really... 
it's a it's a really scary monster. Whereas the predator feels is clearly sentient and humanoid like. The xenomorph is just this killing machine that just seems to exist for no reason other than to murder. Like there's just no logic to to its insanity. It's kind of like Michael Myers in Halloween. It just it just he just murders. It just goes and murders. It's all it does. It has one one goal. And then uh, number one, the only thing I I don't want to add more than that's already said. Uh, Darth Vader, he's the goat, no question. Um, he's also if. Planet of the Apes is the greatest, is is maybe the second greatest twist of all time. Empire Strikes Back, Darth Vader, greatest movie twist of all time. Arguably the number one greatest twist, and it comes out of Darth Vader's mouth. He looks so fucking cool. And, like, you know, you got to think back to 77. And even now, though, 40 years later, he still looks just as badass. And his 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 look has never really been dated. You know, there's a lot of things from that era. Like, you look now and you go, oh, my God, that's so, like, what something would look like in that era. Darth Vader is iconic and he's timeless. He looks scary no matter what. He'll always look scary. He'll never look like something from 1977. And I think that's pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of just yes-anding you. Candlestick Will, what about you, buddy? So uh, Scar from The Lion King, um, the more I've seen it as I've you know, grown older and now I have a son and, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't even think I've shown, I think I've shown him Lion King maybe once or twice. I mean, he's four, but I mean, that's a brutal, <laughs> that's a brutal sequence and he might be the most evil character in Disney history. I mean, to kill his own brother on purpose to to take over the, the kingdom and then basically to create genocide and just let the hyenas eat up all the animals because he just wants to rule and doesn't care what the what the you know what you know what the um, kingdom comes to. It's it's as you know cruel and evil as a, you, as a character you can pretty much create. So I, I think what Scar's motivations were and, and how he went about it, and then to blame you know to blame the son the you know and, and get him out of there. It's just all of it was just pretty disgusting. So for a kid's movie in and of itself is also um, pretty crazy. Um, it's pretty mature. Well, and, it, and right it's <laughs> and it's Hamlet essentially. So it's you know it's also pretty crazy that they could yes. turn Hamlet into a kid's movie. And in that in that in that way, it's why it really maybe shouldn't have been a kid's movie. Um, as good as Lion King is, um, and then Wicked Witch of the West. You know, Rudy, you already mentioned some stuff, but I mean, I think part of it's because again because it's a kid's movie that those are the kind of evil villains that stick with you because it's like those are some of the first villains you ever come in contact with as a movie watcher and she is as iconic as anyone and you you were talking about Darth Vader's look the Wicked Witch of the West look was incredible that green makeup made her look like the scariest human on the planet Um, and her just evil laugh or cackle the whole thing was just perfect sum up of just exactly what you'd want from a villain to just scare the crap out of the whole audience. Um, and then Darth Vader, you guys already said some stuff that, that, that was right on point with what I was thinking. I think ultimately the number one thing for me with Darth Vader is James Earl Jones. Anyone else does the voice and it might not be as, as iconic. It might not be as interesting. The movie might not, might not have made it. Um, if they'd come up, if they'd asked any other actor to be the voice um, compared to James Earl Jones, it's just it, it's the perfect marriage of a voice to a villain that I've ever seen in film. Um, and then Ray, you hit on something I was going to mention too. As iconic as those first three films were, his sequence, the short sequence in Rogue One, was maybe the most badass scene in villain movie history. 
Um, just the absolute slaughter in seconds of just, I mean, just the way he just made them meaningless uh, characters was more than you've ever seen from any, you know, stormtrooper shooting or, or whatever. I mean, it's, it was one of the most iconic moments. It was literally like people had created Rogue One with that scene in mind and then just wrote a film around it. Um, and it was like, <laughs> it was, you know, it's like, hey, we should, we should do something about the plans. Like, that would be a cool idea. And it's like, well, can we have a scene where Darth Vader just is a badass? And it's like, yeah, of course we can because that's the only reason we're doing this. But we should do a movie about the plans. <laughs> you know, it was like, because like, that scene was just so incredible. And I remember... Um, the first time I saw it, I don't think I was in the theater, but it almost felt like I was in a theater, even if I wasn't, because it was like every, I know that every single person that saw that scene was like, this is, this is why I love Star Wars. And, um, and to me that when you're talking about these, you know, Hans Gruber's and, and Joker's, there has to be moments in a movie where you're just like, holy shit, that guy is amazing. And for, and for me, it's like the, the I am your father, the, all those things are incredible, but the Rogue One just added so much more to that character that I didn't even think was possible, and and he's he's to me he's even at another level with that. For sure, if if you rewatch that scene, most of the powers he uses in that sequence is stuff that he did like once or twice throughout the first trilogy. Right. They just crammed it all into that one yeah. little hallway scene. But I mean, it was it, to me, it's one of the most incredibly violent and just. It it it, it, it just really it made rough. you it made you realize why film is fun. Like it, that's what I'm going for. If I want to see an action movie, I need to have a scene like that to be blown away. And that was as, that that's as good a sequence as I've ever seen. Um, and Rogue One's a, a great great film, very underrated. But but um, but that scene is just like a, a, an ode to all every fan who g- gave a damn about Star Wars. Is like we're giving this one to you guys. This one, this one's because we love you. You know, that's that's how it felt. It was like we love you. That's what we're gonna put this scene in. All right. So, candlestick will. That pretty much sums it up for our top eleven sci-fi fantasy villains. Candlestick will. Why don't you let the people know what's coming up next? And it's gonna be a little bit different, right? We're we're adding somebody to this uh, to this next and final category. Yeah, so uh, a friend of mine, Brian, he's a huge, huge horror guy. He's actually been uh, a writer in, in the genre and done some some work in the field for, for horror. So when we first started doing this Villains podcast, I, I hit him up and said, hey, we're doing a podcast, you know, what do you think? And he's like, I am all in. So he, he said he's already got his list pretty much figured out, um, and so he, he's, he's ready to go. So next week will be, uh, be a quartet. Nice, and it's going to be our top 11 horror villains top 11 horror villains and then that will conclude the opening round and then the following week we're going to do our top 11 villains tournament where we put everybody versus everybody um you know we put darth vader versus hannibal lecter versus the joker versus whoever to see who are the final top 11 movie villains of all time Uh, i wanted to point something out candlestick will you uh snubbed the Xenomorph from the Predator, and I snubbed everybody from the Lords of the, Lord of the Rings trilogy, <laughs> <laughs> and that was a conscious decision. So my, mine wasn't so much counterbalance. counterbalance. Mine, mine wasn't as much conscious as it was that I just I wanted to shout out the other films more. There was no I have no malice in my heart for for the Alien franchise or the Predator. 
Um, the Predator is one of the most badass. Just, I mean, you, you talked about Boba Fett and some of these other characters that just visually were stunning. Predator was one of the most badass creations of all time. Not just what he looked like, but also what he could do and couldn't do. And, and I mean, it, that was creatively that was one of the more uh, intense characters. I didn't, you know, I was seven when the movie came out, so I didn't see it. I wasn't a big, you know, horror movie, you know, guy. And Predator certainly seemed like a horror film to me when I was a kid. So I saw that movie much later in life. And I think if I had seen it when I was seven, I'd probably have a, a different take on the on the film. Um, and, and maybe would have been in my top three like you guys. Well, you, well, you guys both put the, uh, the Wicked Witch of the West on your list. When I think of uh, Wizard of Oz, those flying monkeys scare the shit out of me. That scared me like crazy. And that would lead to like my fascination with the Planet of the Apes franchise and then the reboot that recently came out. And to me, the, the, the concept of apes, apes achieving high intelligence and challenging man for the dominant species of the planet. That's just a crazy and scary and intriguing concept all wrapped in one for me. It's funny that you think of the second, I think of the second trilogy as uh, the prequel trilogy to the original Planet of the Apes. Well, isn't that what it is technically? It's technically what it is, yeah. Because yeah, it's the story of Caesar. Yeah. And if you, and well, yeah, because, because the, uh, the originals came when the apes were already in control mm -hmm. and right and so li literally rise of the planet of the apes was us learning how caesar became caesar in the first place yeah party. caesar's like a deity in the right in the original he's just a statue mm -hmm. he's just a statue yeah and there's no real explanation as to you know he's the one that saves them but they don't really explain a whole lot well why. and that that to me I, I know we don't necessarily need to go down a huge um a huge tangent here but sometimes the best quote unquote reboots are actually when they're reimagined that way where it's like let's take this this franchise that we already have and exist and let's go to a different part of that time. I think that's what made Row One successful was that it was a, a part of the franchise that we hadn't tapped into yet. Um and what the prequels were supposed to be. I know people have different opinions on the prequels, but that idea of like instead of trying to remake Star Wars a New Hope, let's go to a different time and place in the in the franchise timeline and do that and i think what rise of the planet of the apes was and when uh was a great way of doing it because if you just try to recreate the same movie and try to do a carbon copy it ends up being too similar and it ends up making it really hard for it to be also good which is one yeah. tim burton yeah. did although i did enjoy the performances in the tim burton planet of the apes i thought tim roth was outstanding the apes look uh, amazing in that movie too. yeah and the They're practical badass. effects of the makeup well, yeah, Tim, Tim Roth, I think, was the only only redeeming quality that I remember. Mark Wahlberg was pretty bad in it, and uh, I know Helena Bonham Carter was like was the main uh, female that, he, that he makes out with, which is also super yeah, that weird. Was, was just really weird. But, <laughs> but really yeah, bad. Tim 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 Roth, Tim Tim Roth was good in it, though. I mean, that's even in bad movies. You know, I think that's what you know. I know with actors, it's like there's there's not necessarily any bad roles. You know, in in that way, like. Tim Roth being really good in that can, you know, still be good for his resume, even if the movie bombs, because someone, someone's going to see that and be like, well, even in a bad movie, you look good in it or you did well in it or you perform well. And, uh, and I think it's one of the things that some of the best actors, they'll make cameos in movies and that'll be the most memorable part of the film. And people will be like, oh, okay, so I can play a small role and still have a big impact or I can be in a bad movie, but I can still, you know, knock it out of the park. Yep, absolutely. That's, it's an iconic uh, iconic performance there but guys great 
lists. I really look forward to the horror list. I'm going to say it's going to be my favorite list since all of these have been <laughs> my favorite list. I'm going to say this is Well, it's going to it's going to be my it's going to be my least favorite. I'm going to say that up front. I horror is just not my thing, but my list is going to reflect that cuz a lot of the movies and characters I have already kind of f- filtered into my list um might not even even necessarily be considered true horror. Um, but, uh, so there's not going to be the the Freddy Kruegers and those kind of characters. So just kind of little tease with that. But, um, but I'm, I'm super excited for people that do love that genre to get your guys's take on, you know, who your top 11s are, because it'll hopefully interest me in wanting to see some of those films now that I'm in my thirties and more willing to watch a horror film for its, for its, uh, for its villains and for its creativity. Wait, Councilor, are you still in your thirties? I am 40 now. I am old. I am old as fuck. <laughs> old as fuck. <laughs> hey, I'm right there with you, buddy. We're right there. Uh, 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 but we look devilishly handsome. So there's the, there's the. Well, that's, that's never going to change. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. All right. So let us know in the comments. Go to youtube.com slash the gold cast. Go to at top 11 podcast on Twitter and let us know who are your Top 11 sci-fi fantasy villains of all time. Uh, we, You will be hearing this within the next couple of days. I'd imagine if you're listening to this right now, it is either Wednesday or Thursday. We uh, do just to, the, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, due to the sensitivity of what's going on, we uh, are trying our best to simply uh, give, give the current climate a little bit of time and uh, we will be releasing this a little bit later when things settle down. And hopefully that'll be closer to Wednesday or Thursday of this week, and possibly even Friday if that's what it takes. But it will be up if you're hearing this. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and this little break from everything that's going on. And we definitely have more gold casts, more top 11 podcasts coming your way. We are not slowing down in any way, shape or form. And so concludes another edition of the gold cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby. And our esteemed co-host. <laughs> That's the greatest. Candle. Stick. Will. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> we'll see you next time. Same gold cast time, same gold cast channel. That was amazing. <laughs> that, was, that was thoroughly incredible. <laughs> I am at some at some point I'll have to go go you know, flip it on and just do it really quick and so people can't even hear it. <laughs> this is, is the gold cast.